Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, guys. Anthony here. Before we get started with the show, just a quick announcement. Our New Gods contest is officially over. I just wanted to say thank you to everybody that voted. Thank you to DC Comics for partnering with us, for supplying the prizes for this. Mr. Miracle is the official winner with 125 votes, which in turn makes me the winner since I chose him as my favorite new god and wrote up about him. Uh, So thank you for everyone who voted for me, even though I know you were really voting for Mr. Miracle. Darkseid came in second with 64 votes, and then it was Granny Goodness in third, followed by Orion, the Black Racer, and Metron. So again, thank you to everyone that voted. We will be reaching out to the winners individually through your email addresses, so keep an eye on your inbox. And then uh, make sure to keep an eye on Monkeys Fighting Robots for future contests like this. We It is something that we're definitely going to want to do again. All right, guys. And now, as the great vaudevillians Bugs Bunny and Daffy Duck once said, on with the show. This is it. Welcome to the eighth episode of the Comic Show on Monkey's Funny Robots. This week, we are reviewing Mr. Miracle number one from DC Comics, as well as Kill or Be Killed number 11 and Redlands number one from Image Comics. We also have beat reporter Tony Wendell to talk about the power of the Dark Crystal from Boom Studios. I'm your host, Matthew Sardo. I'm also the co-founder of MonkeysFindRobots.com. Joining me in the conversation is my co-host, editor of the comic book section on Monkeys Fighting Robots, Anthony Combusto! What's up, internet? Man, I love that introduction. I feel like I'm a boxer or something. Uh, If you guys like the show, please subscribe on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, and Stitcher. Uh, Please comment, tweet at us, let us know how we're doing, what books we should be reading. We love your feedback. I love that we've been getting tweets from people asking us when the show's going to be up and looking forward to the next episode. That's that's awesome. I'm just a, I'm just a nerd from Long Island, so it means a lot that you guys want to hear what we have to say. Are you Billy Joel? I, I am. <laughs> I am Billy Joel, secretly. You're the piano man? This is awesome. Um, you know, you know, moving out, Anthony song, I'm, I'm that Anthony. Oh, wow. Yeah. Mr. O'Leary's comic book store? Is that where we're going? God, I would do a whole podcast by Billy Joel if I'm being honest. I would. I got the I got Amazon TV, and with paying for Prime, I just hit the little microphone and I'm like, Alexa, play Billy Joel. And Billy Joel played all Saturday, like all day long. No commercials, no nothing, just random Billy Joel. Just kept playing, and it's pretty awesome. Oh, he's just he's so good. I don't. I don't know if it is just because I'm a Long Islander, maybe, but there's just something that I—he's my favorite. I can't—I can't talk enough about him. He is a good storyteller. He's a great storyteller. I mean, scenes from an Italian restaurant, all of his songs. There are stories to them. It's not just like the pop music you hear today, where it's chorus, chorus, chorus. 
His songs are phenomenal. And there's a lot of good meaning to it. If you listen uh, on Sirius XM, they did a Billy Joel channel, and he would kind of tell the background on some songs. Scenes from an Italian restaurant was inspired by Day in the Life by the Beatles because they just cut together a bunch of different fractures of song. So he was like, well, I could do that. And that's why Italian restaurant is so choppy and weird. But awesome. And you know what's like really funny is I was trying to build a segue in to talk about the good storytellers of our comic books. And, and I ruined that. And you were just I? like, I'm going to talk more about Billy Joel. You gave me a window and I'm going <laughs> to take it. I told her, okay, but this is not a Billy Joel podcast. This is a comic book podcast. We have amazing books to talk about this week. So let's get into it, man. We got Mr. Miracle number one from DC. I have been waiting for this book for months. Oh, I man. love Tom King. Your boy. Your boy, my friend. I love Tom King, and I was looking forward to this book already. But when we went to Megacon and we heard him talk about it, and we talked about it with him and Mitch Gerrids. At that Megacon, I was just, it became my most anticipated book, I think, of 2017. And when he compared it to The Vision, when he said that this, he wanted to top that and just kind of hit that same chord with people, I, uh, I couldn't wait. And it delivered. It 100% delivered, I felt. Are you sure it did? Yes, uh, because this is what I, this is what I wanted. There is, I'm not even going to call it a gripe, but I will say, I'm going to tell everybody right off to top, or right off the bat. Right up top, you'll know. This is not an action comic. You know, it's Mr. Miracle. So it's Jack Kirby. It's Fourth World. And Kirby's stories were known for being, like, kinetic, energetic, you know, big action. That This is not that Mr. Miracle. This is a talking book. This is a lot of grids. You know, Tom King loves his grids and a lot of dialogue. This issue. I don't know how, you know, the other 11 will go. That's the one thing that I would say is that maybe this issue could have benefited from a little more action. But I... I me, I love dialogue. I'm a writer. I love dialogue. I love just like deep storytelling. I know you need some action, but uh, this this is kind of what I wanted from this one particular issue anyway. This episode was The Matrix before Neo takes the blue pill. You don't know what's real. You don't know what is fake. There's so many just awkward, disjointed moments in there where I was just feeling like the Matrix vibe. The grid system bothers me so much. The nine nine panels on every page being symmetric, and I, I feel like you could build tension a lot better, but that's their, that's their stick. And that's what they're going to stick with. I'm not necessarily going to be the biggest fan of it though. I just counted. 15 grid pages in a row followed by like uh, just a basically a blank page followed by two more grid pages it's basically the whole comic is grids yeah the whole no the whole i mean it starts i mean like there's an opening to the book but the rest of the whole book is nine panels per page yeah it won't be that way the whole series Tom King is kind of known for his grids. If you go back through Omega Men and his Batman run and everything, he's known for the grids. It's a, it's a style that he likes. He's joked about it. He's talked about, you know, he's compared himself to other writers who are infamous for grids and stuff. Again, for this one introductory issue, just to get us through it, I like it. And I think it, it quickens the pace of the story, too, to be honest, because you get a lot going on on one page. 
She can how, how's that, a lot. How's that quick in the pace? That actually slows the pace down when you have well, to read a, nine panels as opposed to like have a big moving thing or where if he was sitting in the bed kind of thing and you had the TV playing and other things kind of mounting around like it's I'm looking at I don't even know what page I'm looking at but there's well it depends though it depends if it's a if it's a nine panel page and it's like moment to moment transitions or just like back and forth talking heads then yeah it's slow but the page I'm looking at right now it's it's like it's scene to scene transitions where they're jumping. They're at the hospital. Now they're home. Now he's in the bathroom. Now he's on the bed. Now they're on the couch and it's jumping through it pretty quickly. Okay. That's your opinion of the book. It I, is. I like it. Listen. You guys overhype Tom King for me and you guys ruined him. That's what I'm saying. I'm sorry. He's a badass man. He was in the freaking CIA. So doesn't make you he, a badass being in the CIA. Oh man, but he but he is a badass man. Like he, we we heard him at MegaCon talking about like realistic torture and how if you want to get out of an interrogation, you'd need to just shit your pants. Like <laughs> hearing him talk about that stuff is incredible. He tweeted today. He doesn't want people. Or yesterday, whenever he tweeted it, he's like, guys, if people critique me or talk bad about me, you know, don't attack them that's not right he's like i fought in two wars i can take a little criticism like he's just he's just a cool dude i like his storytelling i like the dark brooding sad depressing storytelling it's something i've always gravitated towards i like kind of darker more brooding movies plus i love like you said the element of what is real in this comic that one page where he's looking at barda and he doesn't know you know, if her eye color is right or something right there, I'm just like, all of a sudden everything's out the window. I, I have no idea what's going on. And for the next 12 issues, I'm going to have no idea what's going on. And I love that. I love being kept on my toes. Well, I mean, I already know what's going on. I mean, uh, Oh, do tell. I just, from reading this, if I was going to make any guesses or hypotheses about the world, he's already trapped. Like This is a dream world that he's in right now. And he's going to wake up, and he's going to be on Apocalypse. It's Apocalypse, right? Yeah, Apocalypse. Or another possibility that I was even thinking of, is he still on that bathroom floor? Is, or is he dead? Or is he in the hospital or something from the beginning? Like, is this all in his head? Is he still trying to escape death? Yeah. Like, it, like to those of you that don't know, it's not a big spoiler. It's in the preview images. The start of this book, Mr. Miracle quote-unquote, tries to escape death by slashing his wrists. And then the, the story unravels from there. So you go back to that initial, you know, point, you don't know. Like, if, if you don't know what's real, is he still on the bathroom floor? Is he in the hospital? Is this all in his head? So I, I love it. I, I love not knowing what's going on. It's very, you know, I love the Fight Club concept, you know, what's real, what's not. Another really cool thing that I just want to point out, Tom King uses the original captions from Mr. Miracle number one, from Jack Kirby's Mr. Miracle number one from back in the 70s, the opening narration to this issue and the closing narration is the same exact opening and closing narration from the original comic. Then what was he writing? Everything in between. <laughs> but I just I like that. I like that he set it up like a Jack Kirby comic because you know Kirby, like I was saying earlier, it's kinetic, it's energetic, it's bright colors and action so he sets you up like that it's like oh prepare to be amazed by the world's greatest escape artist and even the 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 credits the lettering of them were very old school and they, they it, it creates this tone 
And under it is just this image of Scott with bloody wrists, and it just completely subverts that. And I've talked about this before. I love taking a familiar concept and spinning it on its head. I thought I thought it was genius. You're not even going to talk about the transition from old school comic into new school comic in the first three pages, just in the inking and the coloring. There was a, we hadn't got we hadn't gotten to the art yet. There's a major metamorphosis of the book but you're you're talking about it now with him using the original quotes from the book like it goes it goes hands in hand yeah so i love that i love it and i was gonna well what i was gonna do is i was we were praising tom king but what i was gonna transition into was mitch garrett's art because i think mitch garrett's even outperformed king on this issue i thought the art yeah with king putting one arm behind mitch's back with those nine panels per page (laughs) <laughs> fair but yeah i love that the first few pages have like though that kind of rough like the the dotted look to it like old school newsprint before it trying to transitions into the new school like you said i thought that was brilliant i love this book looks dirty like it's just like you look at some of the ink work on it and and mitch did the penciling the inking and the coloring and there just is there's just there's a layer of grime on this comic it feels like once you get to the panels, then it all changes. No, those are the dirty panels. <laughs> but it, there's different realities going on in the world of those panels. But if they were bigger panels, it'd be awesome. Again, this is only issue one. I don't think they're going to do all grids for the next 11 issues. It's a 12-issue maxi series featuring the new gods. There's going to be action. There's going to be splash pages, I would have to assume. Well, you'll get it, Matthew. You'll get it. This book right here is one of those books. Like, I was looking through, like, my old films that I talked about or, or during my film class times of college. And this kind of reminds me of that, where it's a little bit grittier. Like, the sound's just not perfect. The, you know, the filming's a little off. But these things are all done on purpose. Everything in... Like I said, there's nine panels per page for every page, but every panel has a purpose. Every color has a meaning. Every etchy, sketchy feel to it has a meaning and a purpose. And there's even some crazy... He he colored in a way where it looks like there used to be a piece of tape on the paper. And I'm like... What is going on here? And there's a couple of like burnout spots in pages here and there. Like, there's yeah. some crazy stuff going on in this book that has meaning, and people can write like whole thesis papers on Mr. Miracle. Just even issue one of like what's going on, where the meaning is, what the meaning is. I'm probably not the smartest person to understand all that meaning, and I would, but I would love to sit in a room with somebody who wants to talk about all the hidden crazy stuff or, or I'd like to drink whiskey and read this book and start philosophizing with my friends about it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I feel like it's a book that's going to warrant rereading. You know, you can analyze it issue by issue, but you're never going to really know until you get the whole picture and you're able to go back and look and say, Oh, well, this is what that means. Didn't pay off until issue 10 or something like that. So again, I like books that, kind of require you to go back and look and reread and stuff. They're, again, they're a thinking man's comic. 
I like that this book is going to have implications. It's a standalone maxi series, but they said that it is going to have implications that will impact the overall DCU. It is in, in continuity. You were talking about film. It's funny that there is a sequence in here where he's on a late night talk show. And kind of like you said, how films distort things and you have like the cigarette burns, that whole sequence, the, the quote unquote film is distorted. Right. There are plenty of panels where it's like through his eyes, it's kind of wavy or through his mouth. It's very wavy. And the the camera is is distorted. So Inter it is very much interference? like that kind of film. Interference is what we're saying. There's some interference. Yeah. There's interference. It very much is kind of like one of those artsy fartsy movies where they, you know, distort like, like uh, Grindhouse, Quentin, Quentin Tarantino's. Death Proof, where he purposefully cut cut up the film and wrecked the film just to have an effect and a meaning to it. Because in my mind, I thought that because Darkseed watched watches TV, I thought this was I read it from Darkseed's point of view as he was watching Mister Miracle on Apocalypse. Oh, so it's 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 wavy because the signal from Earth to Apocalypse is just not that great. Right. Gotcha. Okay. No, that's stupid. <laughs> really. Yeah, what, are you serious? I could. I thought you were joking. No, the only no. I said it was stupid because I thought you were joking. No, no. This has happened in comic books before, and it's happened in like Justice League Unlimited, where you know, whenever there's transmissions from a long distance, it's always even in sci-fi transmission TV transmissions are always choppy long distance when they're in like huge realms. That's just something I've seen in sci-fi before. You know, I'll, I take back the, it's stupid because, again, who knows? You, we won't know. Maybe, again, issue 10, 11, 12. Didn't Tom King just tweet out and say not to attack me for critiquing his work? He did. I'm sorry, Tom. <laughs> Please don't. Please don't torture me in, with your CIA knowledge. <laughs> Please. Uh, and I, I, I made a quick mention that he's not tough for being in the CIA, but he's definitely tough for being in two wars. So let's, let's give Tom his props where the props are due. Hell yes. These two are a great team. Tom and Mitch are a great team. Do you think, again, we're going to get into a little bit of spoiler territory. So pause it now if you haven't read Mr. Miracle number one. Do you think High Father is really dead? Do you think they would kill off one of the main new gods off panel? Nothing is real in this first book. Okay, exactly. So you think, again, this is just in his head. Something is warped. I like I think he's already trapped. Wherever he is trapped and trying to escape from, that is where he is right now and this is all the stuff that's going on as he tries to escape from whatever reality he's in. Whether it's is this mental granny goodness? Well, they already mentioned that Granny Goodness is the only one who can teach somebody. Yeah, and she is going to be in the book, but do you think that this is maybe this is a Granny Goodness better question because we won't know. Better question, do you think this is something that'll play out through the entire 12 issues? Or do you think about halfway through he'll escape possibly if he is in a trap and then the second half of the story will be the repercussions of that? Or do you think it's going to be a whole story and then issue 12 you find out the truth? Kind of like Peter Parker being stuck in the brain of Peter Parker with Doc Octopus at the handle? Not exactly, but sure. I, I, I don't... I think if I was writing it, I would not have... Mr. Miracle waking up like Keanu Reeves did in the Matrix in issue 10 and there only be two issues left to to come out of it. I would have it probably halfway through or you know where it's like oh shit he's 
been in the Matrix the whole entire time. He just escaped, yeah. and now we have to figure it out. So I would go with the halfway mark of coming out of so the So like end of issue six or something, which kind of works out because then you can pick up the two trades maybe when they eventually collect it and you have kind of two sides to the story. Yeah, the first side is all internal. The next side yeah. is external. I love it. I cannot wait for issue two. Did you notice how on the last page that bottom middle panel, Barda's eyes are blue again? Like, what's going on? So they did change colors. I was trying to... I was trying to see, like, I'm looking at the panels and, like, her eyes are blacked out through most of them. And then, oh, it, yeah, they're, they're very well hidden, but that last page, they're definitely blue. So who knows? And they were, because they, she said her eyes were always brown, right? Yes, he said that they're always blue. She said that they're always brown. And then in the end, they're, they're blue again. Yeah, because even I his eyes, like, when you have a giant picture of them, they're kind of, like, loosely blue on the first yeah. panel. It's like, you can't tell what color his eyes are either. Well, that's another question. Is Blue eyes are very prominent here. That one page early in the beginning where it's a boy yeah, writing he, and yeah. they have the story, his eyes are blue as well. Is that Scott? Is that supposed to be a young Scott? Because Scott grew up on Apocalypse. He wouldn't be in a classroom like that unless this is before he was traded. Right. And then when he's getting CPR, like when he's getting taken care of, he's got blue eyes. Yeah. And Barda's eyes are covered. And I'm just trying to go through the different panels. Her eyes are covered most of the time. Yeah, they're either obscured or her eyes are closed or her back is turned or something. Yeah, I don't know. It's crazy. I love it. I oh no, they are. This. There there is a panel where where she's ta- where she's talking to him, and they're brown. Like when that that panel where they're talking, her eyes are brown or they're yeah gray. when they're she gray. when she's telling him that they're brown. Yeah. 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 And he, uh, he, I but love, he just I got love, his face beat up and everything too. Yeah, I love not knowing what's going on. Orion pops up out of nowhere, which is kind of cool. I again, I'm completely sold on issue two already. This is getting a full on four point seven five monkeys out of me out of five. I'm not sold on it. Like, I mean, you're not giving. It's a person just walking into this and not having a lot of feelings about Mister Miracle or Big Barda or the New Gods. The only I think it's totally accessible. I think it's totally accessible. Okay. But, you know, I let you finish your sentences. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm not like, wh- why am I rooting for Mr. Miracle at the beginning of this? I mean, like, he's there's, there's no redeeming quality in him right now. He's just all slouched. He cut himself. He gets beat up. He's kind of confused. Uh, you know, I mean, with the Matrix, like, Neo was still kind of like, I don't know, kind of a... Uh, had a certain amount of charisma to him to where you're like, oh, I'm going to follow Neo because, like, the way he's, you know, he's a hacker and doing some other things. But, like, Mr. Miracle right now is just down on himself. Like, there's no, there's nothing to get behind when you're reading somebody, you know, reading him and stuff. And you got Big Barda and then you got, I'm trying to think, Orion. But I'm like, what character do you get behind to make you want to read issue two? Okay. No, I see your point. I think as far as character goes, yes. Maybe this particular issue doesn't necessarily sell you on a particular character. But as a newcomer to the new gods, to Mr. Miracle, I think the story catches you. If you're, if you're like me and you like the whole element of mystery and not knowing what's real and what's not, and it would inspire you to go back and reread new gods stuff. Because this, again, this isn't going to be a new gods story in the traditional sense. This doesn't seem like it's going to be a very bright and colorful cosmic story this is a very muted color palette 
so I even feel like if you read this and you go back and read old New God stories, you'll be like, oh, this is this is not the same at all. Like this is almost its own New Gods thing. No, like Thor Ragnarok is what Jack Kirby looks like. Yes. Every color under the sun. This is this. I wouldn't even call this like a New Gods or a Mister. Like I feel like this could be any person. Like it doesn't have to technically be Mister Miracle. Like I don't feel. And like they are, you they're talking about the escaping things here and there, and they're talking about what he does. But I'm trying to think of like what, like the artwork, and like the confusion, is making me want to read it, like the concept. But this is like a wicked concept album of like insane quality, and I I, I hope that they're going to continue to push the envelope art wise because I think that's what's drawing me more to the book than Tom King's dark grim writing and because I, I don't that's i don't read comic books for that it's just you know it's just me again i like dark grim storytelling but I, I said it earlier i agree with you i think mitch garrett's is the real star on this issue uh, i agree with you the art is is going to keep me coming back for this even uh, the, the both are the story and the art but i do think that the art is the art surprised me i i, I like mitch garrett's work a lot but i won't lie that i you know, I came maybe more for Tom King's writing, but Mitch Mitch just sold me. Mitch just sold me a hundred and fifty percent if he hadn't before. Yeah, I didn't have a huge opinion about Mitch before this issue, but like looking at the way things are set up, I'm just like there's a lot of time, effort, and detail and skills that went into this issue and it's pretty epic. It's pre- the, the artwork is just has an epic proportion on it and, and I really do enjoy it. As far as the story, I, I don't know. As it's weird because everybody loves Tom King, you know, for Batman and the other things, and, and Batman and and the DC heroes are kind of big and epic and stuff like that. But then, like this downer story of a lesser known character, I don't. You know, I guess everybody went crazy over the Vision, so I guess they'll go crazy over this. Yeah, it was good. It makes me happy though that you and I. First of all, we spoke with Mitch at Megacon. There's an interview up on Monkeys Fighting Robots where he talks Mr. Miracle if you want to if anyone wants to go watch that. But you and I both have commissions done by Mitch. We both purchased commissions from him. Uh, and after reading this issue, I'm even happier. I, I love my Nightwing commission by him. And I love it even more now that I read this uh, this Mr. Miracle comic for sure. Yeah, it's a great book. You gave it four point seven five. Yes. I mean, this is a well written book. The artist through the roof. Am I sold on it to want to read it? That's kind of where I'm a little off. But like, it's just, as far as a technically technically sound book, it's a technically sound book. So I'm going to give it 4.5 uh, robots. That's fair. I will not. Uh, I'm not going to fight your score. I'm just going to say I'm a little, uh, especially when you compare it to the Matrix, in a positive sense. I'm I'm a little surprised that the the mystery element doesn't have you coming back to issue two automatically. Ah. Uh, there needed to be, you don't really get anything from the Mr. Miracle character. And this is the guy that's on the book. Like, it's just, he's kind of just beaten and beaten and beaten and and subdued and, like, confused. So, I mean, I'm confused with him as well as the reader. So, uh, that's where, uh, there's a little bit of mystery, but a lot of confusion, just like Mr. Miracle. Each week, we want to bring you an interview either from a beat reporter from Monkeys Fighting Robots or a comic book creator. This week, we have Tony Wendell on the line. Tony, welcome back to the show. 
Thanks for having me, guys. Good to be back. And I'm super excited to talk to you about this book that we're talking about right here because I am a child of the 80s, and this was one of the scariest, freakiest Jim Henson movies of all time. I'm talking about The Dark Crystal, and there's a sequel out called The Power of Dark Crystal by Boom, and there are already five issues out, second printing on the first issue and second issue out. But, Tony, I want you to tell us why we should be reading this. Well, frankly, The Dark Crystal was the definitive, one of the definitive fantasy movies of the 80s. And this series just encapsulates what we wanted from it after seeing it. We wanted more in this world, more of the magic, more of the characters, we wanted to see where things were going. And where are they going? Where are the Gelflings going? What's going on? Like, I mean, the end of the book, of the movie, uh, don't they, like, make the world better? Or So what's the? where's the drama coming from? Well, that's the thing. The world has been better. It's been a better place. But it's been better for a few people, for the most part. <clears throat> the Gelflings are, they're prospering, but... As they're getting older, the king and queen, a.k.a. Jen and Kira, are getting older and can't deal with everything. They basically become like the grandma and grandpa that sleep all the time while the kids are partying away in the household. So the Gelflings are now the terrorists in the in the book? Uh, yes and no. I mean, some a lot of them are. They become greedy and snobbish. But there are still a couple good ones. Kira and uh, Jen haven't uh, become evil themselves. They've just more become disconnected. They got they, they don't know what's going on in the world around them. They're just sleeping most of the day because the crystal of truth, as it's called now, gives them the ability to live longer, but they also need to sleep longer. Weird. So, yeah. And Tony, I am not a child of the 80s. I'm a child of the 90s. I I was not raised on the Dark Crystal or Jim Henson or any of that stuff. How accessible is this comic to someone like me? Is it a, is even though it's a sequel, is it a good introduction to this world? I just think it's a great introduction. It's the perfect thing that, as a story on its own, will be enough to get you to want to go back and watch the movie. Maybe even pick up some of those uh, supplemental side story comics that were released previously by Boom. And talk about the artwork because this was a puppeteering masterpiece. The film. So the artwork's got to be pretty booming by boom. So talk about the two artists that have worked on the book. Nicole and Kelly Matthews. Well, Nicole and Kelly Matthews really have a good style for them. They really are able to capture that the lighting and atmosphere that, that is in any Jim Henson production. The vibrantness of what's going on that was in the original Dark Crystal or with their other major production, Labyrinth. And they also have a really good way of illuminating one of the characters, Therma, who's actually a fireling, who's supposed to be a creature that basically exudes fire. So there's a lot of good shadow and coloring with uh, her character. When she's sad, her fl- the flames around her body kind of dwindle. When she's angry, they're getting hotter and she's has trouble controlling them. And it's a lot of good color work there between it all yeah the dark crystal is 35 years old that that means i was young when i saw the dark crystal this is impressive and how many issues is it going to be it's going to be about 12 issues we're up to about the we're up to about five issues so far 
and it's got a pretty good story with some minor spoilers that Therma comes to the surface world because the light in the the light of underground is starting to go out and she wants to save her people and in doing so she needs a, a piece of the crystal but we all know what happens if you break off a piece of the crystal what it'll become come the dark crystal exactly Talk to me about the pacing, Tony. I like a book that it's Matt and I have talked about this in previous weeks. So, you know, a book we want it to be quick paced, especially, you know, something that's not going to be uh, a big labor to get through. Uh, how is Simon Spurrier's script? It's good. It, it really is feeling like he was trying to call back to the original uh, scripts that they had for this, That because this, for the longest time, The Power of the Dark Crystal was the sequel that just never came. And the fact is, is that finally getting their hands on the script and then turning it into a comic, the writer wanted to make sure that he hit the right points, just like in a movie where the right amount of action and events happen that doesn't bore the the audience. And he seems to do it very well. Were there firelings in the original Dark Crystal or did they just talk about them? I can't remember if they were in that or not. They just talked about them, but the firelings were like the other... Uh, race they were going to introduce for the longest time when they said they were bringing the power of the Dark Crystal in. And these variant covers by Jay Lee are pretty awesome. And I don't think they're variants. I think they're the main covers that they've been using. Jay Lee does some amazing Dark Crystal artwork. What's the driving force to making you keep spending four bucks to finish the, the story arc? Well, on top of the fact that the story itself is good, which... I don't really want to give too much spoilers because it, like you said, in terms of good pacing, it goes pretty fast. I mean, by issue three, issue two, if I, I'll give major spoilers about the events that have happened already. It, and it's just like, whoa, but I don't want to do that. But there's also the idea that I'm, I'm not, uh, I'm not, I mean, you know, supply, demand, that sort of thing. But with the talk that uh, they're finally getting a prequel to the Dark Crystal going on Netflix and if this comic book sells enough, there is, I don't want to give people too much hope that have been holding out too long to see the live version of the dark crystal, but I personally feel it might happen. Finally, if, especially if this Netflix series, the prequel series goes good and they've got the material, they'll have like a, someone can just drop the hardcover version comic in front of the people and say, here, give us another se- season and make it the sequel this time. It'll be interesting to see how that does on Netflix, the the prequel. And if it does well, I mean, Netflix is borrowing money left and right to create uh, original material, and then they just actually breaking news. They brought they bought Malar World uh, today, and they're actually, Netflix is going to be producing comics now. So the game has changed in the network, the Netflix streaming realm, because now they own a publishing company. Definitely something to look forward to. And I also see on... Our kind of episode breakdown, there's something going on with First Strike over at IDW that you need to talk about? Hasbro yes. Universe. Yes, well, the my what I'll be reading this week is First Strike. Review will be up. Uh, it'll be up by the time this episode goes live, so our listeners can go check it out. But this is just really a call-out to IDW itself. And you got to say, guys, get it together. I mean, seriously, you got to... Uh, you want to make everything tie in together, and several titles, unfortunately, are delayed right now. 
I mean, I'm reading First Strike, and it's saying, uh, giving me the reference bubble box at the bottom, saying, this happened, see issue number eight of Revolution. Issue seven of Revolution isn't out. Uh, G.I. Joe, Revolutionaries, uh, Macronauts, ROM, you've got four series that aren't up to date, and it feels really awkward when you're trying to keep a major event going. Get the things together before you have another event. We'll, we'll, we'll bite the bullet this time, as long as First Strike turns out to be good, but please, we're begging you. And that's always tough, because you, you have your big event to lead the way of sales. That's always the, the mission of it, is that that's your beaming light up there in the sky to attract everybody to there. But it depends on how convoluted the story is. Like, do you have to read issues seven and eight of that previous book to understand what's going on? Or is the um, event book ruining other books? Which way is it going? Actually, uh, from what I've been able to tell, I think the artifact that the whole revolutionaries team was going after through their series is the major MacGuffin or object of power to use in First Strike. So, yeah, it's uh, it's them jumping the gun and not explaining more, giving us those two issues that could touch on what it is more and explain back history before it's used uh, to hurt people in First Strike. That's a little bit. That's a little bit of a no-no. That's always tough. It's tough. Uh, I mean, because you're working with so many different schedules of artists, writers, inkers, letterists, and then publishing houses of getting stuff out on time. Like, you can definitely see things going awry. And it's happened with the bigger publishers, and it's it's been a major issue when you're bringing back dead characters back to life before anything is salvaged. And, you know, you don't read the story. So it's, it's, I can see it being really annoying and I feel your pain, sir. But I, I'm, I still like what they do. I'm not, I'm not writing them off yet. It's just, it's one of those frustrations I really wish they could find a way to correct. And you published a book, didn't you? Yes. Uh, actually, I didn't publish it. It was actually through a publisher uh, from Severed Press. It's the handbook for surviving a giant monster attack available on Amazon. And what's that about, sir? It's, a, the, it's the definitive guide to help you survive if a giant monster comes through and destroys your town. <laughs> what did you think it sounded like, Matt? Well, no. I mean, like, you got to work on the sales pit. Like, what, you know, what am I going to need? I mean, like, if a giant monster comes walking through, like, I'm in my garage right now. Like, if it steps on the garage, I'm pretty much done. So, I mean, I don't really... What else is there? What else is needed? Ways to properly escape. How to make sure you're not falling into the monster's plan. What ways to counterattack is proper? Do monsters I mean, really have plans, or do they just smash? No, it's your plan for countering attack against the monster. Oh, uh, okay. So I'm trying to think if you know some of these monsters. Some of these monsters are drawn to like sources of power or food, or I think it's power, food. Like power is actually like energy, food, and then I'm trying to think of what other object a giant monster would want. You know, usually a blonde girl. Well, if you're Kong. Where, where can people find this again? Through Amazon. And what's the title? The Handbook for Surviving a Giant Monster Attack by Anthony Wendell. There you go. Anthony, thank you so much for your time. No problem. What else are you reading this week, bud? I'm reading uh, the last issue of Transformers Till All Are One, number 12. It, it's sad to see this series come to an end. It had some really good moments to it, but 
again, going back to First Strike and the idea that they're going to be shaking up some of the titles, it's not the worst ending point they could have. It's not like they're leaving them right, leaving us right in the middle of a story or anything. So I'm enjoying it, and I hope everyone else checks it out. Talk to you next month. All right. See you guys later. Bye. Killer Be Killed, issue 11 from Image is out this week, written by Ed Brubaker, with art by a frequent collaborator Sean Phillips, colors by Elizabeth Breitweiser. This is the start of a new story arc. Uh, however, it is a Brubaker-Phillips noir story, so that doesn't necessarily make it the best jumping on point. Uh, they typically are stories where you, you want to be caught up from the beginning. Matt, I'm talking to you. Oh, yeah. I think this was your introduction to this book. I'm sort of interested with what happened in the first half but I, I kind of figured out that it's like a Dexter type vigilante yeah. hero kind of thing Yeah, were you lost on this having not read the first 10 issues or were you able to piece things together by the end I was able to piece, I was able to piece everything together by the end I wasn't a fan of the whole opening because that's where I was lost, where it was like, yeah, I don't know who any of these people are. And you have this big, long opening of killing and stuff. And I'm like, OK. And then once once he takes the red mask off, I was like, OK, here's where the story started for me. And I'll go from there. It's funny that you say that, because that whole opening scene is basically the same opening scene that opened issue one, where no one knew any of these characters either. And the narration kind of reflects that, where... The whole story is a flashback. They've shown us this scene before where he's this badass vigilante killer, and then they shot us back into the past to show us how we got to there. This opening scene on issue 11, they just brought us back to that future opening scene before, again, shooting us back. So you're not alone on that. A lot of this this whole scene hasn't, quote-unquote, happened yet in the in the story. So I get what you're saying. This issue to me, I love this comic. It's one of my favorite comics right now. This issue to me, again, this is back to kind of what we're talking about with Mr. Miracle, where what's real, what's not real. To those of you that don't know, that haven't read it, we are kind of going to spoil the first, you know, couple of arcs here. So catch up. The concept is this kid tried to kill himself and he survived. A, A demon supposedly saved his life and told him, I saved your life. You can continue to live, but you have to kill someone for me every month. One person for me every month. And he's reluctant to do it, but then when he doesn't do it, he starts to get sick and whatever. And and so he starts kind of learning to be a vigilante. He gets in the muck of it. Issue 10, the last story arc, ended with with him realizing that he might be imagining the demon. He found out that he was off his medication. He found out that the demon he's been seeing looks exactly like a demon that his father used to paint. So he's thinking maybe it's like a subconscious thing. So again, I, I, I love the concept of, is this real? Is this not keeping me on my toes and, uh, and keeping me committed to reading to find out? I don't know. This is, this is, you know how you were all excited about this week of comics. These are all kind of like downer comic books that we're reading this week. Yeah. I'm a dark and depressing guy, I guess. I'm sorry, man. I feel bad for your generation. <laughs> we we still have a little, I, I, we still have a little hope left in uh, Generation X to do. I, I do like something. I do like dark and depressing storytelling. I, it, it maybe it's a maybe it's a sign. I'm not a dark and depressing guy. I like to think of myself as a fun kind of upbeat guy. Some most of the time, I you know everyone gets down once in a while, but 
I'm not like I don't like wear all black and like I talk real low and I'm not sociable. Like I like going out and having fun and doing stuff. Like I, but I, I like dark, depressing comics and movies and TV shows. Maybe the podcast should just be trying to unwrap that onion of emotion that you have going on right now. Of why you're so happy and then you're like have this dark inner voice that you like to go to every once in a while. Oh man, this would be so much cheaper than therapy. I love that idea. <laughs> For me, I just went with drunk detectives. That was my, like, my dark inner spot is drunk detectives, so I could, like, drink with them as they solve crimes. Again, noir, right? You, like, you're talking about classic crime noir. Brubaker and Phillips, this is noir. They're they're the premier noir team in comics. This isn't a detective story, but it's still very much noir. There's no drunk detectives in the show. There's no drunk detective in it. You talked about Mr. Miracle. You talked about characters and how there's no characters that are very likable or anything. There's not a lot of likable characters in Killer Be Killed either, to be honest. Even this main character, Dylan, the vigilante, he's not the most likable guy in the world. His, I don't even want to call her his girlfriend because they've been on and off and it's been weird. And None of them are necessarily particularly likable guys. And anyone who has been kind of likable is out of the picture. They're either dead or dumped or something. Yeah, and I think you. I think you can have a comic without necessarily likable characters. Yeah, as but long and, as they're interesting. But that's the thing is, I have a taste that I like. I like being able to place myself or put myself in the books that I'm reading. Like that's how I like to get sucked into them and go from there. You know, I'm, there's got to be some element that kind of sucks me in, and I this. This is a tough one. I like I and I know this gentleman's artwork is really good, but it reminds me of like Prince Valiant from back in the day. Like it has you say like they're the pinnacle noir, like they have an old school style to their work that just it's not what I like. It's not what I like. It's it's weird. Like I, the, I mean they're they're the team, man. I mean they've done they've done criminal and fatal and the fade out. Like they are they are the noir team. But they are, and there's a there's. I really like Ed Brubaker. I've talked to him a few times. Super nice guy. His cap run was amazing and dense, and brought amazing things to the world that we didn't think were possible in a good way. And it's it's weird. It's this is just the I don't. Know, it's just an off week for me, man. I I because we had. I'll try to. I'll no, 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 because we, we, we had like Mech Cadet U, number one, last week. And that is that is a Matt Sardo book of Matt Sardo books, where it's like, hey, Matt, here's a giant robot. Let's go beat up some villains. All right, I'm in. And I love that book, too. I love Mech Cadet U, so I'm not all dark, depressing storytelling, just for the record. I like a good smash em up robot book sometimes, too. They didn't I, smash I, too many things up in that book. Like, that's... This is the problem. I'm just saying overall. A concept I know, but this is where is. this is where this is where I, I so I have to defend my comic book club. It's like yes, I like superheroes and I like some you know action in my books, but I'm not like a Jeff Loeb fan of action where they have books called like Smash, you know that are just yeah. stupid. Like I don't I I, I don't want stupid. Or contest of champions and stuff. Uh, yeah, yeah, I don't no. want stupid action. I just want like cool shit. Like that's what I want. I want cool shit. Yeah. 
And, and I, I get you. And I never, I've never watched Dexter. Oh, well, I'll, I'll give you the exact seasons that you need to watch. You don't need to watch every season. Cause well, really I mean, you didn't good. see the dark crystal. So I feel like we're even on that one, but like I get the concept of Dexter. I understand it. You know, like I have to kill. I want, you know, because it's what's inside me that makes me want to do it, but I don't want to kill bad people. So I'm just going to kill other serial killers. I get it. It's an interesting concept. Do I want to see bad people do bad things to other bad people? Eh, not so much. Well, that's why it's like so dense and like, and you, you used the word dense earlier. Burbick is a very dense writer, and there's a lot of themes and subtext here. Is who, if anybody, deserves to die? Like, does anyone deserve to die? Even if they're, you know, Russian gangsters who have killed and prostituted and whatever else. Like, do they deserve to die at the hands of this? vigilante and and who deserves to pull the trigger there's a lot to unpack here and doesn't have an answer there's no answer to it it's like the punisher right it's like should, you know is he right or wrong in his crusade he's wrong Everybody he, yeah he, he is wrong but you have people out there who will debate you on that and 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 the dexter philosophy too there's there's just there's a lot to unpack there and it makes it an interesting story and something like you said earlier that you could sit down with a glass of whiskey and philosophize over. <sighs> See, at least with Mr. Miracle, I have like superpowers and crazy random shit that, you know, that can go on with the new gods. This one, it's just, I'm like, this is very realistic. There's a couple panels that are just, I know I, I, it's not, I'm not a fan of the style, but there are still some beautiful panels in here. The therapist in this book, do you know who this guy is? He's a therapist. No, no, no. This is Alfred. From the 1966 Batman series. Oh, is that who that was? Um, what's his, what was his name? Napier, right? His real name? The actor's name? Yeah. I have no clue who played Alfred. I, th- I think it was Napier, because I think that's who they named the Joker after in the Burton movie. Oh. I think so. Quick Google search proves me correct. His name was Alan Napier. And yeah, that's, that's very much him. Yeah, even when he, like, get a picture there and... I didn't even go to a picture. I just saw it, and I was like, yeah, that's, that's Alfred from the 1976. Uh, I, did love, I did love the art here as well. It's a lot of talking. Like you said, there's some beautiful panels and stuff. This book, if you read an issue that has a lot more action and vigilante stuff going on, it's like the opening scene of this book. Phillips is really good with the battle sequences and the action sequences, and it does get pretty hardcore and awesome from time to time. There's no denying that. So if you want some cool action, if you want some cool gore, this book does have that for you. I think this book like went in waves for me where I wasn't a fan of the beginning, uh, that action sequence. And then, you know, he wakes up and he talks to his therapist and I was like, okay, I, that kind of parked my interest. And then when he writes the letter to the, the daily news, I was like, Ooh, this is interesting. And then he meets his girlfriend and I was like, whatever. And then the end of it, where you know Russians come in, I was like, "Ooh, it's yeah. this was a real roller coaster of me like reading, being bored, excited, bored, excited, bored, going all the way through." Again, this was an issue where he thought he was getting out and he's getting back in. Now that he's back in it, you're gonna get a lot more of that Russian action and 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 whatnot. This was an issue where he was basically quote unquote retiring. So it, there, there wasn't too much of that going on, but 
But it, it, it's was a great it, it series was just, overall. Again, it's it's Brubaker and Phillips, so it's not something where you can just go to the shop and pick up issue eleven and just read it. It's something that you should go and buy the first eleven issues, or wait until the whole runs over and buy the deluxe collections and just read it as a whole. It's just the concept. I mean, like, and it's not that I was looking for all the action and everything like that. It wasn't like the talky parts got me down because I I like the part with the psych, with the therapist or psychologist. And then at that the was- end, it was the action was cool, but it was also because of like. The artwork and wearing the Nixon mask and making fun of millennials and like there was a lot of other elements to the Nixon part. Goddamn millennials! How many robots are you giving this baby? Four point two five. I would go higher, but again, this book it was uh, a little light on the vigilante stuff that makes it so cool. But I'll still give it. You know, four point three. I'm giving it an extra point zero five. Four. Point three. Again, another technically sound book. Uh, the uh, writing is is really solid. The artwork is is good, but it's just not my style. It's not it's not what I'm looking for. It's not my cup of tea. Uh, but it it is a really good technically sound book. I'm giving it four robots. Redlands issue one, also from Image Comics. It's written by Jordi Belair, art by Vanessa Del Rey. The co-creators, Jordi Belair, is also doing the colors, and uh, Clayton Cowles is lettering. It's a great great week for Image. This is a horror comic. I, personally, me, Anthony Capasto, have a review up on Monkeys Fighting Robots about it, where I break it down from my own point of view in, in detail, so you can go check that out. This is a horror story taking place in the fictional town of Redlands, Florida, where witches are either terrorizing or saving a small town, depending on, on how you look at things. It's uh, it's a small-town horror story, and Jordi Belair is from Florida. Vanessa Del Rey currently lives in Florida, and they're putting a lot of that feeling and both love and, I don't want to say hate, but fear of Florida into this book. Matt, you and I both live down here in the Sunshine State as well, so I feel like we have a good... Uh, vantage point on this yeah there's a lot of rednecks down here a lot of rednecks yeah i very much there's a scene in here in in this police station where they're hanging a confederate flag in the back and that is unfortunately very familiar to me i oh do tell more just i mean do you not see confederate flags over there in st pete i see i I don't see them in police stations (laughs) okay i thought you actually were in a police station where you saw people hanging up a confederate flag inside you're just like I'm fucked. No, <laughs> no, just in general, seeing way too many, any number of Confederate flags is too many Confederate flags. No, it does uh, suck that like for, that, that is a representation of Florida, that the Confederate flag is what people think of coming to Florida. Yes. I, I thought this got Florida really well, especially it taking place in the 70s. It's kind of scary that this book takes place in 1977. This issue takes place in 1977, but it's easily mistakable for 2017 like if you took that year away i florida is so stuck in the past sometimes that i would not doubt this takes place today Uh, it it hits on a lot of social issues a lot of racial issues a lot of political issues a lot of issues with law enforcement that are very relevant today but it is not a preachy book by any means this is a this is just a good pure horror story with strong themes in it yeah, what are you putting me through this week? I'm, I'm not gonna. I'm not a. I'm not a masochist because that's 
I'd be putting myself through pain. What am I if I'm putting you through pain? A torturer? Uh, Torturee? No, I'm the torturer. You're the torturer. I don't know, man. I'm not into BDSM, so I'm not really sure. I was a fan of the last page where they, the authors and writers and creative team get together and they tell you who this book is for. Yes. And they kind of just break it down by individual people and they talk about their own nightmares and... That's what kind of sold me on this book. Because the first half, I'm like, okay, what separates this from everything else that I'm reading kind of thing? I'm reading Southern Bastards, and this has a vibe from that. I'm like, where, where is it? The artwork is pretty interesting. I, It's like, I don't know if you ever did this in art school or in, in when you went to like art class in school where you like put colors on the bottom and then you put like black over top of it and then you sketched a picture into it to like reveal the colors underneath the black. Uh, no, no. All right. Well, apparently your, your elementary school sucked. <laughs> I guess so. I'm going to call them tomorrow and demand, uh, I was going to say demand a refund, but I went to a public school. So. But there's, there's some solid panels in here that totally remind me of that. And also at the end of the book, they talk about how they colored the coloring process work. Like, yeah, it's there's some cool stuff in here. Jordi Belair is one of, if not the greatest colorist working in comics today. So it's awesome to see her process. She's proving herself a good writer. I think this is her first writing credit and the story is good. The dialogue is good. I enjoy it. But yeah, if we're talking Redlands number one, we've got to just be talking about the art because to me, it was it was killer. Vanessa Del Rey her pencils or inks just dominate. It's it's rough. It's what you call sketchy. It feels like an old school horror movie. It's got a lot of edge to it. And just the inks. There are sequences during the blackout where it's just heavy on the inks that kind of fills you with dread a little bit. And then just Belair's colors, man. I say it in my review. They're hot. And 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 not figuratively, like they are literally hot. It's all reds and oranges and yellows. And it just, it, it creates this, again, this dread and this kind of, between the inking and the colors, it's this claustrophobia where you feel like this, which makes sense now that I think about it. You're locked in this small space burning. It's crazy because, like, sometimes, like, a couple panels are are really clean and then some of them are, like, super sketched over. And it's like a rough John Romita, like the way he does his sketches. I don't think they're as blocky. As no, they're not are. blocky, but you know how he leaves a lot of sketch marks in there. But He th- does. There's but, a lot of just, like, lines, yeah. But then when you get to the moth, the moth is as crisp as crisp can be in detail and things, and it's not sketchy at all. It looks like a freaking moth. Like, it, it's yeah. just, there's some weird, it's some weird stuff going on in this book where it's, like, it's rough, and then there's some clean, like, it's, it's weird, and I, I don't know if that's from the the inking or the concept, or it's bizarre. This book it's is- bizarre. There's, oh, I'm, just, I'm just looking at that last page and the fire. Like, it's just, I know that I used this word earlier in the podcast, but I'm going to use it again. It, it's just, it's kinetic. Like, the fire just, like, it's a static image. But you can almost see the fire just crackling and moving, and it's alive. And if you look at her stages of inks, which they show at the back of the page, 
the first stage, like the fire is just because it's of the burning tree at the end. Mm-hmm. In the first stage, it's just kind of flat. And then the second stage, it gets a little bit more 3D. And then by the end, she busts out all the super hot whites in there. And you're like, oh, I can actually touch and feel this fire by the end of her ink pit, by the end of her tour of inking or coloring. Comics as a whole, I feel are greatly undersold. A lot of people just, they rate them on a scale of writing and art, or they just think about them as writing and art. And the industry's kind of turning around. We're trying to give more attention to letterers and inkers and colorists. It's something that I want to do in this podcast with you is bring exposure to, to those fields as well. I, this is a comic that I would give someone, someone who just thought about comics as a binary system, writing and art. And I'd say, this is an issue right here. Read this to, to understand the power of inking and coloring and lettering. I think Clayton Cowles, again, one of the best letterers in the business right now. Like This is just a great example in a single issue of how all these facets can come together to form something great. It is. But then when you talk about the story, I got to transition and be like, I'm not hooked. Ooh. Ah. Like if they talked about, because it said 1977, if it said even like it said said next issue, it shows like a a reindeer all cut up and disemboweled. Um, And every deer is a reindeer to me. That's just how I think. I think it's just a deer. It's just a reindeer. It's Rudolph. Rudolph is dead. But if it said like 1983 or 19, you know, a different time frame or if the time frame had meaning in the first issue and they gave me some relevance of where they were going in the next issue, like this is kind of just like a complete issue where I don't need to read the second issue. No, this could be a standalone story. This could be a one shot. I think maybe, I don't know for sure, but maybe when you're dealing with witches and the occult, you can do weird things. Maybe it'll be in 1977 for the first arc. Maybe maybe they will jump to 1983 in a new arc. Maybe they'll maybe they'll jump back in a future arc. Anything is at play. When and it, when it comes I would to... totally be turned off if this was the end of the book, and then issue two they take me back to the dead guy that was talking. No, I think the fact that this book starts in media res, just completely in the middle of things doesn't give you an exposition, just starts the action and expects you to f- pick up and follow along. I think that's one of the strengths of this book. No, I but I'm, I'm great- saying in issue two, they start, if they go back in time to the beginning yeah. of the book, I'd be very upset. Cause right. I, no, I, I, was, I was taking a long winded route to agree with you, but I was going to say, that's why I would also be disappointed. If oh, they okay. Did that. I, 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 okay. I thought you thought I was critiquing. This issue. No, no, no. no. I was saying that it's great that they started things so abruptly. And if they went back to fill you in, that would be kind of weak. I agree. Yeah. I just needed some sort of hook into issue two. And and I don't get it. Like, there are a few questions like, who are these witches? (laughs) You know? Um, And they mention that. The main question. Yeah. Who are these witches? Um, And then there's there's the ghost guy. And then I don't know if the monster is somebody else in it. But I, if I got, like, if all I had to say was, like, next issue, 2017, I'd be like, oh, okay, now I know, like, this is going to be the mythos of that town, the massacre of 1977. You know, it would give me a little bit of a clue of what to expect. And, and I, I don't have any clue, which kind of is a turnoff to me. I don't know. I feel like you're being a little harsh. 
I'm sorry, you give me three dark books. Are you not expecting me to be a little dark at the end? <laughs> this was a very dark week. I was. <laughs> it is funny when you think about how hyped I was at the beginning of this episode, and you think about how dark we've gotten. I, I've got two questions for you. What did you give this score-wise in your original review? And then rereading it for the podcast, did you change your score? My review, I gave it a 4.8, which was one of those, you know, cumulative scores. Uh, I gave it a 4.8. Rereading it, discussing it with you, I'm pretty much in the same ballpark, man. Like, I was going to, I was, if anything, I was going to say maybe like a 4.6 or a 4.7, but. This is better than Mr. Miracle number one. I gave Mr. Miracle number one a 4.75. Yeah. Again, I gave this book a 4.8 in my written review. Again, it's in the same ballpark, man. It's totally different things. It's not superheroes. It's horror. It's image versus DC. It's so incomparable. I don't know what the issue is with you guys respecting the grading system. It's just not arbitrary. Again, to me, it's the last 10, 15 minutes of discussion that you and I just had. That's that's where we get into the meat and potatoes of things. The the, the 4.8 or 4.75 or whatever is just a, a summation but it, it's it's the details that carry the weight. Oh, man. I, I'm giving this a 3.75. You're going below four? I'm going below four. I needed something to make me want to read issue two. And maybe it's getting the burden of Mr. Miracle or Kill or Be Killed on it because it's the last one. And I'm in critique mode at this point in time. But <laughs> I, the colors are amazing. The art. There's a sketch to it that is sometimes oversketched for me, so that's that's a negative. But the colors are brilliant on this. Like that's where the high number would be, is in colors. And then the story, like I said, it's kind of for me, it's self-contained to where it kind of ends, and I'm like, okay, where do I go from here? And you you got to be, you know, you you don't know anything about the witches. All the all the people that you might be rooting for possibly or you know there's nothing the only guy who intrigues me is the ghost guy that's that's the only guy where i'm like okay the ghost guy that's who i'm that's kind of intrigued with. so so you just you you wish that they would have left the door open a little bit more and given you a little tease of what's to come so you knew what to expect yeah you have to you have to give me something to make me want to buy issue two and i i feel like they gave me more of a self-contained story okay Guys, something else that we want to make sure to do moving forward is follow up on books that we have talked about in previous episodes uh, and just kind of give you this the scoop on new issues that have come out. We talked about Sacred Creatures from Image back on episode three of the pod. Episode two is out this week. I read it. I, it did not sell me. You know, if you go back to that issue, both Matt and I were kind of lukewarm on issue one. Issue two, again, the art is just not is not what I look for. And... The story, it's just, it's its a little its a little wordy, it's a little convoluted. You get a little bit more answers to who those creatures are, but it just didn't keep me interested. It didn't make me care enough about who they are and, and why they're doing what they're doing. So, Are you keeping it or are you dropping it? I'm dropping it. I, I think it, if it, you know, it's hard because I, I always say I'm dropping things and I end up sticking with it just for one more issue, but... I think I'm cutting the cord. I'm, I'm dropping it. Hi, right, Anthony. That wraps up another fabulous show for us. Thank you for being part of the comic book show. 
I love being part of the comic book show. Is it the Thank comic book you. show or is it the comic show? We don't even know the it's name just, of our show. It's just the comic show. I love being part of the comic show. Thank you for being part of the comic show and letting me depress you some weeks. This was rough. I, you know, like last week I was, had a good week of books and I felt like I didn't come in with the energy. So I was like, I'm coming in with solid energy this week. And, and you can tell by my opening and, and, and where I am with it. And then by the end, I'm like, oh my God, this is the most depressing week of comic books ever. It's a good week of comic books, but it was just qual. There's quality there. It's just, you know, darker. Matter. I will try to get, you know what? I'm not going to try. You know, what's coming out next week. That's going to like be big and exciting and not depressing at all. Metal. Metal is out next week, so you don't have to worry about dark, depressing sadness. Wait, it's here? It's finally here? It's finally here next week, Metal number one. Ooh. Hi, Anthony. You have a good weekend. You too. Once again, there are several ways to continue the conversation after the show. Follow us on Twitter at monkeys underscore robots. You can look at all our silly photos on Instagram at Monkeys Fighting Robots. You can follow me on Twitter at Matthew Sardo. My co-host Anthony is also on Twitter at the underscore great underscore ace. The biggest compliment we receive is when the subscriber number goes up on Blog Talk Radio. If you have a chance, we would greatly appreciate a review of our show on iTunes. As always, the best way to listen to the show is on our website, monkeysfightingrobots.com. Well, that was fun. Who's for Chinese? There are so many people that made the eighth episode of the comic show on Monkeys Fighting Robots a success. Special shout out to my co-host, Anthony Combusto. Thank you. And make mine milkshake. Oh, oh, you went there? You went there? Yeah, I'm, I'm going there. I'm getting political. <laughs> Jessica Wynn designed the Monkeys Fighting Robots logo. Are you a monkey? Are you a robot? The staff of Visual Realm built our website and keeps us up running. To all my friends, family, and the interweb, thank you very much for your support. I'm Matt Sardo, and this is Monkeys Fighting Robots. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from, with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.